Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you that we find ourselves in the house of the Lord with the Spirit of the Lord. We worship you in spirit and in truth. We stand before you desirous to tell you that we love you, we need you, we welcome you. We pray that you would direct our steps and that you would use your word as a lamp unto our feet. We pray that you would prosper your word in our hearts, that it would be a good seed planted in good hearts that give forth good fruit, the end of a life, a harvest that glorifies your name. We know that you are our head. You are our God. We pray, Father God, that you fill us with your goodness this morning, your grace and your mercy, that we might receive your word. Welcome it, Father God, as the bread of life that nourishes our spirit. We pray, Father God, that your word would direct every step and every decision we make. And we pray, Father God, that your glory would fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Father, this is not because we are powerful. This is because you have promised. This is not because we will do it in our own strength, but we will walk in the spirit of the Lord. Father, every step we take, we pray that your grace and your mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and that we might be led by the spirit of God in everything we do. Bless your word and prosper it, that it not return void. And Father, be glorified today in a marvelous way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. If you weren't here, Wednesday night was a powerful night. Sometimes when we come to midweek Bible study, some people say, well, I'm so tired and, and it's in the middle of the week and I've worked and it's hard. But a lot of people tell me, don't preach good sermons on Wednesday. Bring your good sermons on Sunday so we don't miss it. But I'm like, man, I really believe that every day we live might be the last day we live. I really do. So I'm not going to save anything for tomorrow. I'm going to let it go all today because it might be the last day. And some people said that. Uh, we said that last week. It, it might be the last sermon that I preach. We, we talked about that um, because we were talking about going home and death last Sunday. It might be the last sermon that I preach, so I want to preach the best sermon and make it my last one. Or it might be the last sermon you hear, so I want to make sure that before you go home, you hear a very good sermon. It, it'll, it'll encourage you to get right with God and walk in a way that honors God. But today, uh, so Wednesday, we talked about how to make decisions. Nobody teaches that. I talked about growing up in a house where at the age of 10, they gave me a little mechanism called an eight ball. You would shake it and ask it a question, and that the answer would pop up. Yes, go do that. And that was the best I had with respect to making decisions. Or at night, we would play the Ouija board, and you don't want to be asking demons for your direction. But that's what we did as children. Uh, some people did rock, paper, scissors. We make decisions on rock, paper, scissors. Other people, they reminded me on Wednesday, they said, Pastor, you forgot flipping the coin. You forgot flipping the coin. Some people make decisions based on the flipping of a toy, I mean, of a coin. All those things twisted because life is too important to make decisions on a reaction or because the Bible says, Blessed, are the, um, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1-1, that's what it says, the very first psalm. Don't walk based on the advice of your best friends. They're wicked. They don't talk to God. Uh, they watch Oprah and then make decisions. Um, you don't want to make decisions based on ungodly people. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. It's the very first psalm. That means don't go to your best friends for advice. And so Britney Spears and Miley Cyrus, or Cyrus Miley, I don't know what it is anymore, but all these people, they continue to give advice, and it's a scary thing that your children would be following the ungodly advice of ungodly people. So we talked about how to make decisions last week, and so now, today, um, we're not going to talk about how to make decisions. We're going to ask you if you've made the top 10 decisions in life. Not how to make decisions, but these are top 10 things that are most important decision that you will make in your life. And sadly enough, a lot of people have not made decisions regarding these 10 things. 
They wouldn't even know how to do it. Well, last week we talked on how, but these are the 10 top decisions you should make in your life. Um, they started counting how many decisions does a person make in a lifetime. Well, let me just tell you that some people think that we make 35,000 decisions each day. Listen to this. 35,000 decisions on a daily basis. And so um, the first decision that somebody might make as, as the day begins is whether they're going to wake up or not. Should I go ahead and press the snooze, or am I going to get up? You know, so all that stuff. Then you, what, what socks will I wear? That's a decision. What color socks? What am I going to wear? Uh, you know, the grooming. Do I take a shower, not take a shower? All, all these things are mi minor decisions. Decisions nonetheless. And, and so 35,000 per day um, in, in that regards. Um, people make 225 decisions each day solely on the issue of food. Solely on the issue of food. What they're going to eat, where they're going to eat, how they're going to eat, what, you know, when they're going to eat, with who are they going to eat. Just a whole bunch of decisions there um, that are automatic. Um, how they're going to drive, if they're, uh, you know, they're going to listen to music. Just, just a, there are a myriad of decisions going on. What cologne am I going to wear? Am I going to wear a jacket? Am I going to wear a tie? What kind of skirt? What kind of shoes? Now, my wife always parades in front of me with a couple sets of shoes before she comes to church. She's like, does this match? Is this good? Is this? So I'm like, I'm making my decisions. I'm making her decisions. I'm helping her. But that's all normal and that's good. That's a, that's a perfect thing. That's a great thing. And, and we do life together like that, making decisions from time to time. Um, those who don't make decisions. How many know people that hate to make decisions because they stress out? By not making a decision, you're making a decision. You understand that? By not making a decision, you're already making a decision. Um, and so that is what is super powerful about this. Um, understanding that when we're not making decisions, you are making a decision. The number one decision, and you could tell this to the world, this is the number one decision, the top number one decision in a man or a woman's life, a person's life, is to worship God. That's the number one decision. Are you going to be a person that will worship God? That means will you align your life up to please God? Are you concerned about that? Is that something a lot of people don't even have? The Bible says a fool has no thoughts of God in his head. He never even contemplates that there is a God, that a God has a will, that God has a desire, that we were created by God for a specific purpose and plan. And he has it meticulously decided when, where, what, how, who. He, he is a perfect God in all his ways. And he didn't create mistakes. And he didn't create some things that are cosmic jokes. He's an intentional, deliberate God who created man. And so the first decision men have to make, and this will possibly be the most important sermon that you can take with you in a CD or an MP3 and give to your friend. And say, I want to bless you in your life. And these are the 10 top things that you must address in your life so that you can not only start your life's journey with a blessing, but end up being satisfied and blessed in your journey of life. Will you worship God? Will you put, I put here, in regards to worshiping God, align your life up with a relationship with the Creator? And, and so the most important thing is, will you keep Jesus at the center of it all? Everything is about God, and you're standing with God. Are you standing right with God? Is your line lined up with His plan for your life? Everything else causes a distortion. It causes a ruin and a destruction of your existence. Yeah, one of the things that God says, and Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. There's nothing that comes from a life without God um, other than a big mess. So in order to line yourself to worship God, the Bible says, if you believe in God, you will receive his son. You can't say you have a relationship with God and you discount Jesus Christ and the cross. Because that's the centrality of the faith. No one will come to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no relationship 
with God the creator if you discount the son. So the biggest problem man has and why this is the biggest decision is because there's something called sin. Sin is in the life of every man. And the only one that can dispense with sin is God. He's made provision for making you white as snow. Forgiving all your sins and throwing them in the sea of forgetfulness. And separating as far as the east is from the west. My friend, you don't know how awesome it is to come to God and to have him eliminate all the sins in your life. The seed of sin and death that was sown through Adam, the first man. Some people want to describe sin as a primitive instinct. That's what the biologists and the scientists do. The philosophers wanted to call it irrational thinking. Psychology calls it emotional weakness. Sociology calls it cultural lag. History calls it a class struggle. Humanities calls it human flaw. But the Bible calls it sin. And sin will mess you up. So you got to come to God and repent. And get right with God, that's the first decision you make. Accepting Jesus Christ in your life brings clarity to your life in a way that sets all other things on the course of blessing. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities separate you from God, and your sins have caused God to hide his face from you, so that he will not hear your prayers. I don't know how people think they can live life without God's help. I don't know how people can think that. How could you live everything that life brings and you're not going to add God to the recipe, his instruction and his guidance? So when you dispose of sin through accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, now you are ready to walk in his plans for your life. Now you're ready for him not to hide his face and for him to hear your prayers. Is super important. Uh, decision number two that you must make. Will the Bible be your roadmap for life? It's super powerful that we constantly run over here and we run over there and we're trying to find our way in life's journey. But the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, does not man know that the way of man is not found in him deciding his own affairs? I, 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 I can't help in my flaw as a human being to offend people. But I think that a person who thinks they're going to find their own way without God is a total dimwit. I feel that if God has given us his word to direct our path, that the man should know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. I was hoping for one amen. amen. I was hoping for one man to say, yeah, that's me. I, I need help. I need the word of God to be a lamp unto my feet because it hasn't been given to me to make my own decisions. God has given me his word and his word instructs me in the way I should go because it's not for man to decide of himself the steps to direct his own paths. This should be one of your favorite verses. Make sure that you memorize this verse and every day tell it to yourself it's not within my capacity to direct my own steps verse 24 even more powerful lord correct me since it's not within me to take my own decisions and make my own steps for some men have it easy they just ask their mother-in-law and she has the whole thing figured out because she hasn't figured out that it hasn't been given to her to direct your steps. That God is the one that directs. And so he says, Lord, since it's not a man's within a man to direct his own steps, correct me in a, in a nice way. How many could pray like that? Lord, do so softly and carefully. I don't want to anger you lest you 
lead me nowhere unless you bring me to nothing. Unless my life doesn't count and all the decisions I made are wrong decisions because I never confided in you. I never walked in humility. I have it all figured out. I go to church to do God a favor. I'm going to go and, and do the church a favor by being in their presence. My friend, you're a miserable fool who needs God desperately. Who needs God to have mercy on you and to teach you each day how you're to proceed. And the word of God is there to do that. To correct us in a manner that is soft and not a rude awakening. I call it a two by four to your forehead. You don't want to learn life's lessons by hardship. You want God to direct your steps lest you come to nothing. Jeremiah was powerful in telling these men that it's not up to them. Mankind does not have it within himself to determine the best way to live. Furthermore, it is God who can give us the correction and the direction we need. God, give me correction and give me direction. I'm not perfect. And so he tells us that life is about wisdom and foolishness. Isaiah 8.20. It's about light and darkness. And the Bible says, if you're not living life according to the law and according to what is written in the law, then you're not speaking according to his word. It's because you're not walking in light. If they don't speak according, everything you do and everything why you do should be based on the godly counsel you receive. How are you going to live life without godly counsel, without a word from the Lord? I tell people, don't move until God speaks. Let God confirm everything in your life by his word. Let him lead your steps. Because if it's not according to the law and according to what is written, and they don't speak according to your word, it's because there's no light in them. Psalm 119, 105, the word of God, the decision to make the Bible your roadmap is because his word is a lamp unto our feet. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path so I do not stumble. I'm not reading the word because I'm a religious fanatic. I'm reading the word because in it is the secret to prosperity in life. Psalm 1 says, if I meditate upon his word day and night, everything I do will prosper. Everything I do will turn out right if it's my meditation day and night. Proverbs 3.13 says, happy is the man who obtains wisdom and gains understanding. For this man's life will reflect by wisdom and understanding. Um, let's go to verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. This is not pixie dust, my friend. This is the counsel of God for your life. The man who gains understanding. You're not born with it. Verse 14. Its proceeds, its results are better than the profits of silver and its advancement greater than gold. People should be receiving the word of God so that they determine the outcome of their decisions. It's the blessing of the Lord that gives you wealth. It's the wisdom of the Lord. I love Psalm 19, verse 7. His word, his law is flawless. The word perfect. You're not going to find many things in this life that are perfect. But the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts. It transforms your soul. The testimony of the Lord, what is written is sure, making wise the foolish person. Verse 8, his statutes you can trust. They're right. They bring joy to your heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens your eyes. When things are blurry and you can't see clearly, the word allows you to see clearly. Verse 8, it says these commandments will lead you in the way you should go. Super powerful. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, he says, if you want to have good success and prosper, make sure the word of the Lord is your partner in life. Joshua 1 8, let's put it up there. The book of the law, make sure it doesn't depart from your mouth. 
Somebody, I went to a, a television program, and every time there was a dilemma, and every time there's a thing, I said, the word of the Lord says, the word of the Lord says, the word of the Lord says. And they said, let me ask you, sir, do you have your own opinion? I said, no, I used to be like you, foolish. Now I decide what God says, and everything that he says to me is the right way to live. There was a time that I did have an opinion. Now I don't have an opinion because I have God's word. And it's not an opinion. It's a reality. If you have this law in your mouth, you meditate it day and night. Read half a chapter. Read a full chapter in the morning. Read a full chapter in the day. Spend eight hours a day as you can in the word of God. It will make you wiser than your peers. So you observe to not only hear this word, but to do all that is written there. For when you have this reality, you will make your way prosper. And you will have great success. There will be great prosperity and success if you do it God's way. I love Psalm 37, 31. The law of God in the heart of man allows him never to slip. The law of God in his heart, none of his steps shall ever slide. You're not going to slip in life if you do it his way from the beginning. That's what it says in Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart so that I not sin against you. That I might not do it wrong, Lord. Your word is given to me so I can prosper. That's decision number two. Make the word of God day and night your instruction. Decision number three is partner with the Holy Spirit. The single most powerful help man has upon the earth has been given in the form of the Spirit of God, which is a member of the Holy Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. And God, the Holy Spirit, has been left upon the earth to help you live like God wants you to live. He says, stay in Jerusalem and tarry not until the Holy Spirit comes over you and you receive power from on high. There are many people that choose to live life without the Holy Spirit, and that is a wrong decision. It's decision number three in our chart of the top ten. Welcome the Holy Spirit to your life. Speak to the Holy Spirit just like you would the Father and the Son. Welcome the Holy Spirit into your life. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and convict you. There's nothing that brings you closer to the mind of Christ than the Spirit of God. John 16, 8. He says, I don't leave you as orphans, but I will send you the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, look at the things the Holy Spirit does for us in John 16, 8. When he has come, he will convict the entire world of sin. Is what I'm doing wrong? Ask the Holy Spirit. He will tell you it's wrong. You don't have to follow the pastor. The pastor will confirm. You don't have to follow a leader. You don't have to follow the church. The Holy Spirit will confirm. Now, if what you're feeling from the Holy Spirit is not consistent with what men of God, holy men, and holy women can perceive, then you might not have it right. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin. That means that's that... Like... You don't want to get a check from the Holy Spirit in your heart that what you're doing is not from God. Not only will he convict you of sin, but of righteousness. What's that? Of doing things right. And the Holy Spirit says, go for it. Run. Jump on it. Grab it. Go. He'll give you a green light. And and no one will be able to stop you in that regard. He'll tell you what's wrong. He'll tell you what's right. You got a thumbs up. You got to go. God is with you. And then he will convict you of judgment. What the heck is judgment? It's discern between right and wrong. To make a decision. That's the Holy Spirit's work and function in our lives. Your decision to not allow you, the Holy Spirit to come upon you and overwhelm you is a serious mishap in life. Make sure the Holy Spirit is there. Romans 8, 16. The Holy Spirit will constantly remind you that you're a son of God. It's powerful. He says, you know, we don't don't do that in the kingdom. Those who belong to the Father don't live like that. And he'll be your companion. 
It says uh, one of the translations for the Holy Spirit, the, the counselor, is paracletos, the one who goes at your side helping you in the journey. We need the Spirit of God to lift us up and remind us that we're not of this world. The Spirit himself will bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's so helpful when you're in the dilemmas of life and you don't know if you're going to do something or not do something. The Holy Spirit says, remember that daddy doesn't like this. Romans 8, 15 says, through the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. It embraces the fatherhood of God. You did not receive a spirit of captivity and bondage but receive the spirit of adoption that allows you to cry abba father in the hebrew language daddy daddy papa papi in spanish he'll tell you that you're a beloved of the lord and when you have a spirit of adoption upon you you're not an orphan you're not reckless you're not wandering you're not lost you don't have an inheritance. You have a large inheritance, and the Holy Spirit brings you to that reality. Romans 8.16 reminds us the Holy Spirit will bear testimony to our spirit that we are children of God. Decision number four. You guys following along? So far we have making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, connecting you with worshiping God. Number two, following the roadmap of the Bible. Number three, Partnering with the Holy Spirit. Number four, denying yourself. This is a big one. Because self is the thing that most characterizes Satan upon the earth. He says, I want to stay away from the devil. I'm going to tell you, stay away from yourself also. What's that mean, pastor? That yourself is selfish. And the opposite of selfishness is love. To get yourself out of the way allows you to love somebody else. To get yourself out of the way allows God to be your Lord and Savior. I was doing a teaching on the character of Satan. And in his character, the foremost character attribute of Satan is pride. And so I was looking for what is the definition of pride. I was getting my notes ready. This was about 15 years ago. And as I'm getting my notes together, I go to the dictionary. I need help. What is pride? The art of being proud. That didn't help any. How does that help? Pride, the art of being proud. I said, that doesn't help me definition. I said, Holy Spirit, can you help me? And he says, yeah, pride is the art of self-preservation. Every time I'm thinking about me, myself, and I, I have an inability to walk in the purpose of God. God is love. He wants me to live like him, laying my life down. There is no greater life than, love than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. And if you're a selfish pig, you're like the devil. You care about nobody but yourself. James chapter 3 verse 16 says, wherever there's the pursuit of selfish ambition, every evil spirit is present. So what I do every morning is I flush myself down the toilet. This life is not about me. This is not what I want, what I'm concerned about. God, what do you want? To love God and to love others is the first commandment. It's the way we please God and live his life upon the earth. But wherever there is envy and self-seeking, there's all type of perversion, the word confusion. Things are twisted and every evil spirit is present. My friend, this is the, 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 the horrible bed of, of hell's existence is when you're acting out of selfishness. So pastor, what do I do? Colossians 3, 5 tells us what to do. Decision number four is what will you do with self-preservation? You know what you do? You put it to death. You don't pray about it. You don't fast about it. You don't exercise it. You don't meditate. You don't try real hard. You kill it. You got to kill yourself. Put to death all your members on the earth because these things are the ones that cause you to fornicate. You're not thinking about the other person. You're walking in lust about unclean things, uh, pornography, about passions of the flesh, evil desires, desire, covetousness, and putting things above God. These are all the things we do when we're trying to protect self. 
That's why the first thing Jesus gave us was the cross. Deny yourself daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. If you don't do this, you're not worthy to be my disciple. There's a lot of people that want to be Christians, but they don't want to get rid of self. I would not be doing what I'm doing today if I was living for myself. Because I have to make a lot of decisions in the life of a lot of people. I had to tell a woman yesterday, the, fa- the, the most rejoicing day of my life is the day you left my church. Why? Because I don't have to care about her no more. She's taking her own responsibility because as long as she's here, I have to make sure that she is blessed and prosperous and joyful and the devil's not messing with her. So when a person decides to leave, that's one less person that I have to be responsible for their life and their children. It's sad, but to me, it's a relief. Because I'm not doing what I do here because I'm serving myself. I'm serving many families. We're going to Santo Domingo not because I come from Santo Domingo. Mauricio, you were with me last time, right? Wasn't it powerful? Super powerful. We didn't know anybody. We, We didn't visit a cousin, an uncle, an aunt. We have no business enterprise and investments. We went there to serve the men because it's not about us. It's about God. It's about God. And so this is powerful that if you don't put to death yourself, you can never do the will of God. You can never walk serving others if you are alive. This one man, I'll get to it in our next, in our, in our next scenario here because it's coming up. I'll go ahead and say it. He was going to get married, and he brought a list of 100 things and gave it to his wife. Are you going to do all these things for me? And she brought it to me. She says, Pastor, I'm getting married. He says that if I do all these things, I said, listen, throw that away. What is he going to do for you? Tell him to put 100 things down, what he's going to do for you. The guy's a slime bag. Please, please, because why? We're all thinking about me, myself, and I. We don't think about other people. We were talking to somebody who just lost her daughter last week, and we said, listen, I know that she left a seven-year-old son who's an orphan now who's your grandson, but in our church, there's 25 orphans. So why aren't you caring about the other orphans in our church? Why is it all about your orphan? Because it's a sad existence. It's a sad existence to serve ourselves. One man says, I only go to church like if it was a buffet. I take what I want, and I leave what I don't want. I'm like, church is not about you coming here to take what you want. Church is about coming here and laying down your life for the love of the rest of the brethren. It's not about you, my friend. If you, I'm going to say it like this. If you are a selfish person, you are the most miserable person in the world. People with deep psychiatric conditions are people that can't get off themselves. It's called uh, stinking thinking. Get yourself out of the way or else you are eliminated to qualify in all else that God has for you. That's decision number four. It's a big decision. To do away with yourself in the nature of Satan, the art of self-preservation. Therein lies humility. It's not about you. That's the key to prosperity. Decision number five, will you keep godly company? You have to determine who your friends are going to be. Are they those who love God? I cannot have friends that constantly walk contrary to the heart of God. Why? Because I want to please God. It was the first decision I would make when I came to Jesus. I went to each one of my friends and says, we can't hang out no more. And they're like, why? We've been lifelong friends. I said, because I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm going somewhere else that you're not going. I I love something else that you don't love. I desire something that you're not making a part of your life. And so this number fifth decision, whose company will you keep, is called the power of friendship. You have to understand that God did not create you to be alone. There has to be a company. The teamwork makes the dream work. Who you gather with will determine your destiny. Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one because they have a greater reward. For if one falls, the other one will pick him up. But woe to him who is alone. Verse 10. Woe to him who's alone when he falls for he has no one to help him up. 
My friend, there is a powerful union in a company that you keep called a friend. A decision of who your friends will be will determine the victories you will have. Deuteronomy 32 Verse 30 says, one will cause a thousand to fly or to flee, but two shall cause 10,000. One alone can confront a thousand people, but two that gather together will be able to overcome 10,000. It's powerful exponential strength when you keep the company of friends. Proverbs 13.20 says, whoever hangs out with wise people will become wiser. The circle of your friends determines wisdom, but the company of fools will head to destruction. Almost everyone who's ever committed a crime has done so with another person. If you keep a company of wise men, you will not fear destruction because wise men will have your back. I tell women all the time, who are your friends? Because your friends will dictate the counsel you get. Leave him. He's a scumbag. Love him and forgive him. It's two different, different, um, uh, what's it called, axes of, of thinking. If you're around godly friends, you get godly advice. If you're around worldly friends, they're going to give you worldly advice. Psalm 119, verse 63, David says, My friends will be those who fear the Lord. I will be a companion of anyone who takes God serious and those who keep his precepts. I'm going to make a decision in my life that I will keep the company of those who love the Lord. I'm not going to sit there and run with a pack of wolves. I'm not going to sit there because sooner or later, they're going to ask me to cheat on my wife, to cheat on my taxes, to cheat in my business dealings, to do what they do, to walk in darkness and hypocrisy. But David says, my companion will be those who fear God. The greatest inspiration I've ever had is to be able to turn around to godly men and ask them for advice. Their counsel is like medicine over my life. And I remember being in the world and the advice I used to get from ungodly people. When you're gathered with a team of friends, there's great promise. Matthew 18, 19, wherever two, not one, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, let them ask whatever they want. Let them agree on earth concerning anything, and it will be done by them by my Father who's in heaven. This company of people who pray together, who live together, who do life together, that's not religion, my friend. That's reality. Verse 20 says like this, for where two or three gather together in my name, I will be there with them. Jesus joins a union of you and the friends that you keep in his name. Psalm 133, 1-3 says, behold how good and pleasant it is when people come together, live together, worship together, because God has commanded that in that place... When the brethren dwell together in unity, there will be blessing. There will be provisions from heaven upon the lives of these people that come together. We have witnessed that in our presence. The greatest gift my sons and daughters could have are the friends that that they keep. They're not isolated. They're not withdrawn. They're not removed. They're not distant. They're cared for. And the enemy is seeking someone who is alone, who's isolated, who's distant, who wants to do life selfishly. That's where the devil devours. So decision number five is keep the company of godly friends. Decision number six, this has to do with honoring family. I want to say if you don't honor family, you don't honor anyone. God has determined that family would be the unit of his divine community upon the earth. He created and started the earth not with a lot of architects, a lot of engineers, a lot of accountants, a lot of doctors, lawyers. He chose a family. It wasn't a fraternity. It wasn't a gathering of men or a sisterhood. It was a family. A family determines the blessing of the Lord because there is a father in the house. There is a mother in the house. There is the union of a marriage covenant. There are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. It's the single most 
entity upon the earth that will precede your community at church. He says, when you go to church, make sure that you look at the elders of the church as if they were a father. I never had a father. I hate my father. And so you will come to church and you will disrespect the authorities God has established in the church. So a family is super powerful. It's the formula of God for prosperity. You know who doesn't hang out in family? Orphans, prodigals, illegitimate, rebellious, wayward sons. Prostitutes. Those that live on the streets, they despise family. They do not like to dwell in the house where there's a father and a mother and children and siblings that they have to honor. The Bible says he who curses his family will curse his life forever. Proverbs 17, 13. If you have a wayward thinking about family, your whole life is cursed. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house forever. You cannot cohabitate in family. Proverbs 20, 20. He who curses his father and despises his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. How do you want to do life without family? I don't want to hear what they have to say. I don't want to hear what they say. I don't want to hear what they, they tell me. I want to put that away from my life. My friend, you just want to drive in darkness. You want to drive down the highway without streetlights at 12 midnight. Your lamp is being put out with every suggestion that you don't need family. Psalm 68 verse 6 says that he places individual in family to cause them to prosper. It's like bringing somebody out of selfishness. You can't be selfish in family. It's like bringing somebody who's captive out to prosperity, but the rebellious cannot thrive in a desolate wilderness. A rebel cannot do family. Because a family is a place of accountability. It's a place of correction. It's a place of instruction. People that are walking without family are despising the unit of God upon the earth. He created Adam and Eve in the garden. He created a history of families through Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul spends chapter 1 and 2 talking about everything God has for man. And he says, if I'm going to receive everything God has for me, I must bow my knees. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 15. Because from him, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. If I'm not part of the family of God, my son said it best, you will not receive the inheritance of God. you got to be part of the family. And if you hate family, you have a serious problem. A lot of us hated family growing up because that's where we got hurt the most. But we have to return our hearts to home like the prodigal son did. Teach me to be as one of your servants. Give me humility and obedience so that I could abide in the household. Listen, household means the government of the house. It holds it together. The decisions being made are the ones that hold the family together. If there is no togetherness in government in, in a way to process rules and, and, and holding it together, it falls apart. And it becomes the single most plague upon the earth called fatherlessness. That is the, the curse of our generation. The separation of the heart of the father with the heart of the son. Malachi 4.6 says that if there's not family and the heart of the father and the son are separated and you decided to live outside a family, get ready because the earth will come to you under a curse. I come and strike the earth with a curse if the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Confusion and chaos are the result to live outside a family. It's a curse not to make a decision to live within the community of family and the church. Decision number seven is education, work, career, profession, your livelihood. The way that you are going to eat, my friend. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Like we have said before, if a man will not work, let him not eat. This is a huge decision. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, let him not eat. My friend, you want to not feed your wife, you're going to have a serious problem. A wife will not have it that you be a lazy bum. So one of the decisions in life is how you will prepare to make a livelihood for your life. 
God has provided a mystery to the pathway of prosperity. Does everybody want to know what that is? Decision number seven. What is that mysterious Florida lotto little tip on life so that I can get ahead? How will I make it, pastor? Why is, is some men so prosperous and so men so successful and I'm such a, a, a bum? Get ready to write this very deep. Very, very. W-O-R-K. Work, my friend. Work. That's what God has provided man since the beginning. He put him in the garden that he might keep it, that he might labor in it. How is it that you think life is easy? That you're going to play the lotto. That you're going to come up with some fanciful way of existence. Look what it says here in Proverbs 14.23. In all labor, in every work a man does, there is profit. Wow, what, what a concept. If I work, I'm going to prosper. But idle chatter leads only to poverty. If you're just speaking, speaking, speaking... You're not getting anything done. God cannot bless the works of your hands because they're not doing anything. If you want to prosper in life, you must use the four-letter word, W-O-R-K. If a man does not work, let him not eat, 2 Thessalonians 3.11. God wants you to work and to be diligent at your work. For we hear that there are some of you among you who walk disorderly. What is disorderly? Not working at all. Hey, Pastor, I don't know why I'm not paying my bills. Because you're not working. Well, I don't know why God has it against me. No, he doesn't have it against you. He's giving you two hands, two feet, and he's giving you the ability to work, to go and do something. To go and sow because God will not be mocked. Don't be deceived. Everything a man sows, he's going to reap. Why you're expecting a harvest where you have not sown? If you have not studied, if you have not worked, if you have no livelihood, you're not being diligent. 1 Timothy 5.8. The one who provides not for his home. If anyone is not making provision for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Verse, uh, decision number seven is work and provide and let God bless the works of your hand. Proverbs 12, 11, He who works the land will be satisfied with bread, but he who chases fantasy will be devoid of understanding. He who tills the land will be satisfied with bread. If you work, God can prosper you. If you don't work, nothing's going on. You need to study. Our parents have been telling that since we were born. You have to get ready for tomorrow. And if you didn't do it yesterday, start today. Be faithful at your work. Be diligent at the work. Get laziness out of your life. Number eight. The decision, will I marry or not marry, to join in the covenant of marriage. Deciding who you will marry becomes a lifetime curse or blessing. The selection of a husband and wife will determine blessing or prosperity. Or the penalty of marrying outside of God's design will cause automatic destruction to come upon your life. It's a bittersweet moment determined at the moment of marriage. Ecclesiastes 7.26, there's nothing more bitter than death than to marry the wrong person. The Bible's telling you up front, we, we, we caution these guys. Listen, you're about to go on I-95 in the wrong direction at 80 miles an hour, my friend. We will, re- we will pick up the remains of your poor existence because you have decided to be foolish with life's most important decision. There was 10 pastors up here yesterday on the altar giving Gary and Amanda a thumbs up. That is powerful. That is super powerful. More bitter than death is the woman whose heart is a snare and her life is like being caught up in nets. Whose hands are like fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her. But that person who's twisted and rebellious shall fall in that trap. My friend, more bitter than death? I don't understand it. I guess you're dying while you're alive. 
I guess that's a horrible existence to marry the wrong person. The Bible says there's few things that make the earth turn up on end. Proverbs 30, verse 22, when you marry the wrong woman. 21. Three things cause the earth to shake up and to be perturbed. Yes, under four, it cannot bear up. That means you cannot build a peaceful home while an earthquake is striking, my friend, while a hurricane is raging. Verse 23. One of these things is a hateful woman when she's married. This is called an impossible woman. When you're joined with somebody who has no desire to calm her fury, why would you invite that person into your peaceful life? I don't know. You better pray about it. But it'll be one of the most important decisions you make in all life's existence. 1 Corinthians 7.28, Paul says, those who marry have to be careful because they're inviting troubles into their life. But even if you do Mary, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such, underline this please, this is what we told Gary and Amanda, those that marry, they're not sinning because they marry, they're just inviting trouble in their flesh. They're inviting trouble in their existence. They're trying to get on the same page during the process. Proverbs 30, I mean, I'm sorry, he, uh, yeah, we did that. We've covered decision number eight. I'm hurrying here. I have two more decisions you're going to make in your lifetime that will be part of the top ten decisions. The number nine is stewardship, finances, and money. The administration of God's provision of your life. From the beginning, there are things that you do with the things that God gives you. You need to make decisions if you will honor God with your finances, with your provision. With your resources. Because the key of life is if you honor God with that which is in your hands, God will prosper you beyond measure. God will bless you like you never even thought you would be blessed if you are able to make decisions financially in a manner that honors God. Early on in Genesis chapter 4 verse 3 it says that in the course of time, Cain brought the fruit of the soil and offered it to God. Verse 4 says, Abel also brought the firstborn of the flocks of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel's offering. My friend, how do you stand before God empty-handed? How is it that God prospers you and you never come back and bless God? You never honor God with your resources. No one taught us growing up. In my family, nobody taught us to honor the house of God with our resources. Proverbs 3.9 says, if you honor the Lord with your possessions, with that which you possess, not with what you're dreaming, one day when I become a millionaire, I'm going to give, I'm going to build, I'm going to buy. You're not going to do nothing. Learn how to honor God with what's in your hands now, with the first fruits of all your increase. What for? Why would I do such an absurd thing and make that decision? Because verse 10 says, if you honor the Lord with your possessions, with that which is the first fruits, your barns will be filled to the top. Amen. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. To be able to do that is supernatural. To be able to honor God, we learned that when we came to church, such things as tithing, generosity, seed and harvest, sowing and reaping, having an open hand. We see from, from the beginning, God blesses Abel and curses Cain because of what they brought to the Lord. In Proverbs, we see them blessing the Lord with the provisions of their house. But look at what it says in Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. When you happen on someone who's in trouble or needs help among you, in the land that you live, with any of the gates in your lands which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut up your hand against the poor brother. Verse 8. You're to known to be generous. You shall open your hand wide to and willingly lend to him sufficient for his needs, whatever he needs. Verse 9. Because God is watching. Beware there not be any wicked thought in your heart saying, I'm going to, he's going to owe me. 
And then the seventh year will be here, and then he can't pay me back, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you and become a sin amongst you. Verse 10. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to the needy. Because for this thing, say with me, for this thing. For this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all which you put your hand to do. Verse 11. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I commend you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, to the needy in your land. You're to prosper those that are around you. God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. As you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully, which means much, will reap bountifully. I told the men last year at our intense conference, be known as a man who blesses and prospers others. Be known as a man who is a giver and not a taker. Be a man who's always at the forefront of dispersing on others and not. It's better to, uh, to give than to receive. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the one who blesses others in abundantly will be blessed. And those who help to refresh others will himself be refreshed. And watered. These concepts of what you do with your money will determine whether God could entrust greater measure over your life. And if you decide to withhold more than you should, you're going to see there's going to be grave loss. Decision number nine is to be generous with what the Lord puts in your hand and start learning how to give God his portion and be generous and abundant in in the expressions of others. How much is it going to cost you to go to Santo Domingo? How, much, how many books are you going to bring to Cuba? Where are you going to go? It's not about money, my friend. If I honor God with what's in my hand, God will open the windows of the heaven and bless me. Malachi chapter 3 verse 9, the promise is there. It says, do not steal from God or you'll be cursed with a curse. You've robbed me, every, even the whole nation. Verse 10, bring your tithe to the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of the heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't even have enough room to receive it. You won't have enough room for everything that's coming. In these last days, my kids are getting accepted into law school. You're saying, how will I afford law school? You know what? I didn't have to. I've been tithing since day one when I came to the Lord, and now the Lord blesses my children with scholarships. Way beyond what I can think, because God will not be a debtor to any man. Make a decision to honor God with your resources and your finances. And you'll be blessed beyond measure. Number 10, and final decision you will make in your lifetime. Choose to be a man under authority. That means walk in obedience. This was the first chapter I read in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. It says, these are the blessings that will befall you if you are obedient. You'll be blessed wherever you go. If you observe Carefully, my commandments, and which I command you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth. If you're able to come to obedience to authority, if you're able to honor what God has established, has his, his own pathway to prosperity, to obey the institutions he has established, this means you honor and obey God's order, which rebels can never do. They always have a great excuse why they do not have accountability in their life. The Bible says in verse 2, all these blessings will come upon you. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you because you walk in obedience. Because you listen to authority. Because you listen to what God is trying to do in your life. Verse 3. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Regardless of wherever you go, God will bless you. Verse 15 says, however, if you do not obey the authorities established, if you do not honor the institutions God has placed, it shall come to pass. You know what that means? It's going to happen. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord to observe his commandments and walk in his statutes that I command you, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You can't afford to live outside of authority. You can't can't assume that this life is 
jumping over the constraints that God gives you. If there is a policeman out in the street and he says stop and you run him over and then the sergeant comes and says stop and you run him over and the captain says stop and you run him over and the lieutenant says stop and you run him over, my friend, you are a rebel. You are an outlaw. You're a thief and a robber. You have undermined the authorities established upon God in the earth. You're fit to be tied and be put in prison. And so are those people that defy the established authority of God in the spiritual realm. Pastors and leaders and elders. And you're like, I'm above the law. I don't have to talk to anybody. I'm going to do what I want, how I want, where I want, with whom I want. I won't even talk to a public service aide, a youth pastor. Somebody who's starting out in his life of authority. You listen to no one. You, my friend, are a derelict. And it's a wrong decision to make in life. And you're not going to fare well. Romans 13 says, He who disobeys the existing authorities established upon the earth. Romans 13.1. Every soul be subject to governing authorities. No, I'm above the law. Me and my husband have been doing whatever we want since we got married. We don't listen to anybody. We don't counsel anybody. We don't, we don't come to find any governing authority. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that God has placed, God has appointed. Imagine you going around saying, I don't have to listen to anybody. You're just, a, you're just an outlaw. You're, what's it called? A fugitive. You're running from the law. So these decisions, and we'll go through them again so that we all have them in place, are the most important decisions a man will make in his life's journey. And so super important because they determine where you're going to end up. They determine what your life will consist of. And so here we go. Number one, Jesus Christ. Worship God, putting Jesus Christ in the center of it all. Number two, making the Bible your roadmap. Number three, Making sure that you're partnering with the Holy Spirit. That it's not religion, it's reality. Number four, you deny yourself. Number five, that you would be able to honor... Oops. Here it goes, I got it here. Number five, keep godly company. Make sure your friends are those who honor and love God. Why are you hanging out with somebody that doesn't want to hang out with God? You're nuts. You're not going to end up in the, wrong, in the right place. Number six, honor family. Number seven, your work, your career, your education, your profession, all that determines your hard work will determine the harvest in the land. Number eight, who you marry, your lifetime companion. Number nine, how you steward the resources and the provisions of God in your life. If you're not honoring God with your resources, don't ask God's blessing upon them when you lose them all. When everything is gone, when there is no stability and you have nothing, because you honored not God with your provisions, with your finances, with your tithe and your offering. God will not rebuke the devourer. Let's put that up there in Malachi 3.11. He says, if you tithe, you're covering all your finances because God will rebuke the devourer. Verse 10 says, bring to the storehouse the tithe and I'm going to blow you up with blessings you won't have room enough to receive. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer. That means the devil cannot touch you or the, your things. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor the vine will fail to bear fruit. You're going to bring your business to full prosperity. Number nine, be able to steward your finances. And number 10, choose to be a man and a woman that respects and honors the authorities God has established in your life. My friend, this is the most important message I've preached in 20 years. Amen. Most important. Let's stand this morning and thank God for his goodness. Who are we that God might speak to us as if we were his children? He's laying it all on the line. I wish that every father would sit down with their sons and say, Guy, we need to be able to make these 10 decisions with you in life and make sure that you are hitting the bullseye, that you're not wavering, you're not tossed, you're, you're not missing these decisions, that you're headed on strong and that you make these decisions in life because it will reflect your fate and your destiny. Father, thank you for this day in the house of the Lord. Thank you that even as we hear your word, there's transformation taking place, Lord. There's conviction of your Holy Spirit. 
There's a, an admonition, an exhortation that we would not be wayward, that we would not be orphans without direction, without identity, without legacy. You're giving us your word so that we might be the head and not the tail, that we might prosper in all our ways, that those who see our prosperity might come near us and say, how is it that you're so wise? How is it that you keep a life that, that is so successful and prosperous and filled with honor, significance, and purpose? And it's because you have led us to make decisions, Lord, that change the world. You have led us to these 10 important aspects of life that govern our affairs while we are outside of eternity, Lord. We pray, Father God, that your kingdom would be established in our midst, that this would be just more than a religious experience. It would be a reality, that we are not only hearers of the word, but doers, O oh God, and that our lives might manifest upon the earth your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, and everybody in the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.